All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to come before you as your redeemed people, to praise you, to worship you, and to experience your power, your presence, and your grace through praise and worship, Lord. We, we pray that you would anoint this sermon, and that you would give it clarity, and that we would have clarity on uh, in what we need to be doing in the near future with pursuing deeper worship, Lord. We pray that you would open our eyes and you would empower us. We thank you for your grace and amen. All right. Today's sermon is titled, Now is the Time for Worship. I was glad Deanna picked that as the first song today. There was no coordination there. I did not tell her about that at all. Um, But today's sermon, Now is the Time for Worship, is a bit different from how I lay out, how I structure most of the sermons that I do. Uh, Most of the sermons that I do are prepared and worded in such a way that they're fit for a general Christian audience, just anybody who would be listening who is a Christian. But this one is more specifically directed towards us as a church, towards GCF, about our current need for more powerful encounters with God through worship. So I have uh, three sections to this sermon. The first one, GCF needs more worship. Um, There's three points I want to make in that category. Number one, miracles happen when our faith touches the power of God. So this is a pattern I've been noticing recently um, in the scriptures and books. So we're going to look at a few examples from the scriptures first. But miracles happen when our faith touches the power of God. Let's look at uh, Mark 5, 25 through 34. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, she thought to herself, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. So one thing that kind of strikes me about this is she, in a real sense, had faith before she touched Jesus. She had total and complete assurance that she was going to be healed if she would touch Jesus. So she had the faith before the healing happened. The faith wasn't lacking. She had the faith for healing. It was already there. But healing happened when her faith touched the tangible power of God. Jesus was so anointed with the Spirit that he constantly had the tangible power of God flowing through him. 
I like how it says, and Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him. He perceived it. It's tangible. He had the real tangible power of God with him in a a noticeable way. And her healing happened when her faith touched the power of God. Let's look at two more examples. Let's look at Matthew 14, 34 through 36. And when they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gnerzer. Um, you know, that land. <laughs> and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around all that region and brought to him, that's Jesus, brought to Jesus all who were sick and imploring him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it, they touched the power of God. They came with faith that they would be healed, but they touched the power of God. As many as touched Jesus' garment were made well. We see a similar account in Luke six seventeen through 19. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So we see again another example of how Healings and miracles happen when faith touches the power of God. I again want to point out that these people came for healing. They came with expectation. They came having the belief to be healed, but their healing happened when their faith touched the power of God. And the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them. And the power that came out from him was the power of the Holy Spirit. So I started to think about this more as a pattern um, a few months ago when I was reading a book by uh, Smith Swigglesworth on healing, and he mentioned an experience that he had where he was praying with a group of people uh, for the healing of a sick person, someone with a terminal illness. And he said that the power of God fell on their prayer meeting three different times, but the person wasn't healed till the third time because it wasn't until then that the people had faith because they had been struggling with doubt about whether or not this person would be healed. And this person was struggling with doubt about whether or not they would be healed. But I thought it was interesting that he mentioned the power of God falling on the meeting, falling on the meeting and rising the three different times, and he didn't merely mention their struggle for faith. And it was at the third time when the power of God fell, when they had faith, that the, this person was healed. So we need faith, but we also need the tangible power of God. We need to have the power of God through the Holy Spirit in a way that's tangible. Because everyone has the Holy Spirit, but not everyone is filled with the Spirit to, ha- to the point where they have power the way Jesus had. But he had his power from the Spirit. So the first reason GCF needs more worship is because miracles happen when faith touches the power of God. But wait, how does that connect to worship? 
the second reason we need more worship. We encounter the power of God during worship. So I wanted to mention an example I read recently. Um, I'm currently reading through Derek Prince's book, Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And he gives an account of a, a conference he went to in Kenya and at the end of the conference, on the last day, he was at a, a meeting, and they were having worship and prayer, and the worship and prayer had been going on for about two hours. And at that point, um, like the power of God really fell on their meeting in a, a certain way. And uh, I'm going to read a quote from his book. At a certain point, the conviction came to me that as a group, we had touched God and that his power was at our disposal. And God spoke to my spirit and said, Do not let them make the same mistake that the Pentecostals have so often made in the past by squandering my power in spiritual self-indulgence. Tell them to pray for the future of Kenya. And he, he goes on in the book to describe, um, during the prayer meeting, one of them was given a vision by God of what was going to happen to Kenya if it wasn't prevented by prayer. And... Um, you know, Kenya had just recently become independent, and, and a bunch of other nations close to Kenya that had just become independent, there was a bunch of uprisings and governmental overthrows. And in the book, he goes on to describe that God led them to pray prayers that, through God's answers, prevented a government overthrow that would have otherwise happened and would have been bad for the whole nation and would have hindered the spread of the gospel. Today, or at least during the time of... Uh, his writing of the, that book, Kenya is one of the best places for spreading the gospel in Africa because they have the least hindrances by the government. And we all know governments hinder the gospel, or ungodly ones do. And the other overthrow of their government would have not helped that. because typically the military uprisings would just set up communist dictators. I also want to look at a few examples from Scripture of encountering the power of God during worship. Let's look at Acts 16, 25 through 26. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. That's a pretty great showing of God's power. Like if just an earthquake happens, you might call that a coincidence. But if doors open on their own and chains fall off on their own, that's not a coincidence. I also want to look at Second uh, Chronicles 5:11 through14, the dedication of the temple. When the priests came out from the holy place, for all the priests were present and had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, and all the Levitical sinners, Asaph, Heman, Judathan, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, lyres, standing east of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests blowing trumpets in unison. When the trumpeteers and the singers were to make uh, themselves heard with one voice to praise and glorify God, 
And when they raised their voices, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his kindness is everlasting, then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud of God's glory, so that the priests could not rise to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So during the dedication of the temple, they, had, um, they came mightily into the presence of God. But it wasn't until the praise and worship. In the praise and worship, they met the presence and glory of God in a powerful way. And hopefully, if you've been attending a while or attending other churches either way, uh, you've encountered the power of God in worship. That should be something all Christians have. But we need it more regularly, and we, we struggle with it more than we realize, or our struggle is more severe than we realize. So my third point, and um, we as a church need more worship, is that we will never become the church God wants us to be without regular, powerful worship. So getting to the point where we regularly meet the power in God in worship and where we stay at that place where it's a regular ongoing thing is something we as a church have been struggling with for years. Most of the time, we just have seasons of regularly encountering the power of God in worship. We don't regularly have ongoing powerful worship that isn't just part of a season, and that's the problem. That's something we've been struggling with for too long, and God wants us to get past that. And I think if we're truly intentional about it, God will give us grace to get past that now. If we never get to the point where powerful worship is part of our life, at least weekly, and not just a part of a special season, we won't accomplish our vision as a church. Because we need to be walking in God's power regularly. We want to be a reformed, charismatic church. That's part of our goal, is to be a model, reformed, charismatic church. And frankly, we're not all too close at that. But God will give us grace for it. We're not very charismatic in practice. But the start to changing that is that we need to have regular, powerful worship. That is the start to change in that. Nathan? Okay. <laughs> but one of the most important parts of our vision is uh, having an emphasis on Bible study and having an emphasis on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we just need to recognize in order that we can seek God for grace and work on it more, that we're not actually very charismatic in practice. But there's a, a very simple first step to take in that. 
and that's having more worship regularly. It'll take reliance on God, but God wants us to get past this ongoing pattern we've had of only having powerful worship regularly in certain seasons, but not all the time. God wants us to get past that, and if we don't ever get past that, we'll never accomplish our vision as a church because we won't be walking in God's power the way that he wants us to be. So we need to really focus on getting past this just being a seasonal thing. This needs to not just be a seasonal thing of coming into the presence of God. It needs to be an all-the-time thing. And that needs to be a permanent change, and the sooner it takes place, the better. So we should seek God for his grace in that. But not just we should seek God for his grace through prayer, but of course, uh, if I'm going to preach a sermon, I came with tips on how to do it practically. So the, the next section of this sermon, uh, tips for more powerful worship. Number one, seek to get to know God deeper. So how deeply you know God, or even how much you know about him, will affect your worship. I like to... Um, Explain this using a principle I call mind context or heart context. Every thought that you think about God has a sort of context to it. Every thought you think is thought against the backdrop of your other thoughts. So every thought you think about anyone has a context to it. And that context is the collection of your beliefs and attitudes about them. Someone can tell me that my wife, Teresa, is a cool person, and I will agree with them. When my ears hear the statement, my wife is a cool person, my mind thinks it and agrees with it. <laughs> so my, my, my ears hear it, my mind thinks it and agrees with it. But what it means to me might be totally different than what it means to them. They have the same... Uh, denotation, but they might have very different connotations. Mm -hmm. The thought that Teresa is a cool person is a thought that has already been built in my mind and is built out of a bunch of thoughts and memories that I have about her. So therefore, it might mean something fairly different to me than it does to someone else, because it's built out of my thoughts and memories about her. And when somebody else says it, it's built out of their thoughts and memories about her. So even though the phrase Teresa's cool can mean the same thing denotatively to the both of us, connotatively it might mean something thoroughly different. One of us might think she's really, really, really cool. Um, <laughs> or that's my, that might be what we feel when we think that phrase, even though it's the same phrase. And it's, you know, the same when you think about God. When your mind thinks about God, you think about him in the light of or in the context of all the thoughts you already have about him. 
So if you get to know God's greatness in more detail than the statement that we sing in worship, how great is our God, will mean more to you than it used to. And singing and proclaiming it will be more impactful the deeper you know God. We can all get together and sing the same thing, but it might mean very different things to some of us. For some of us who have been, you know, had decades in our relationship with God, there might be a lot of rich context behind it, lots of memories of God's goodness and faithfulness through hard times. Lots of details we know about his glory and the things he's done. So if you want more powerful worship, seek to get to know God deeper. It's tip number one. Tip number two. Prepare your heart before worship. So, um... There's three ways a person could do this that I've noted down. But the first one, and what's been most helpful for me recently, is refresh your memory of God's greatness before worship. So if you're going to a worship meeting, um, spend like 10 to 15 minutes meditating on scriptures that show God's glory in various areas. It just takes 10 to 15 minutes, but spending this 10 to 15 minutes before you go to a worship meeting, refreshing your mind of God's greatness uh, can make a big difference, and it's been making a big difference for me recently. So meditate on various areas of God's greatness. You can meditate on the greatness of his love, the greatness of his power, the greatness of his wisdom, the greatness of what he's done and is doing. Meditate on how much he loves you. You know, the list goes on and on. But meditate on God's greatness before worship so that when you come to worship, you already have it in mind, God is great. And then you can press deeper into it with the time you have at that meeting. It's like pre-gaming. It does make a big difference. So again, I started doing this, um, and you don't, not just on Sundays with the 8.30, though attending the 8.30 on Sundays is a great way to do this, but if you have a weekday worship meeting with no worship beforehand, what I do is I get on my computer and I have lists that I've written or I write a new list on some area of God's greatness. Like I'll write down a bunch of Things about his love that we get from the scriptures or about his power or about his wisdom. And I'll look up verses and I'll write them down and I'll think about them. And uh, for me, I tend to spend most of the time meditating on God's love because that's an area I sometimes struggle with. But it's caused me to have an easier time coming into God's presence. It's caused me to start off the meeting with more of an attitude of worship. And uh, it's caused worship to be more impactful. So prepare your heart before worship. And the best way to do that is to refresh your memory of God's greatness. Another way we can do that is to to prepare our hearts for worship is to seek to humble humble ourselves. 
You know, humility helps in seeing God's greatness because pride makes it harder to see God's greatness. Pride keeps our focus on ourselves. You know, I'm in the meeting and I'm thinking about what everybody else is thinking about me, which is pretty stupid. We should all be thinking about God. But humility helps in seeing God's greatness. God reveals himself more so to the humble, the humble who seek him. If you want to humble yourself, you can confess your sins, you can think about how much you need God, or think about how much God has done for you. But humbling yourself before worship. Another way to prepare before worship is to pray uh, for God's anointing, and that he would open our eyes to see him, to see his glory in worship, and to know him deeper. Pray that God would anoint the meeting and would um, you know, work in our hearts and reveal new thoughts about him to us. Praying that we would know God deeper is a prayer that God wants to answer. The third tip I have for having more powerful worship. Have an attitude of determination. So I need to explain what I mean by that. Um, Enter worship with an attitude of determination to proclaim God's glory. So I was having a hard time deciding how to word this attitude, but I came up with three three sentences that I think kind of describe this attitude. So have this attitude. My worship has objective value even if I don't feel God's presence or get any enjoyment out of it. So if I go to a worship meeting and throughout the whole meeting I don't encounter God's presence and I don't get any enjoyment out of it, you know, it would be better if I did but it still has objective value. It was still worth something. And let's look at why. Uh, It's good that God be praised, and it still glorifies him. Let's look at Psalms 147, verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praises fitting, a song of praises becoming. It's good that God be praised. It is still glorifying God to acknowledge his greatness, to acknowledge his worth. Even if we're having a a hard day, or we're not really feeling his presence, or we're not really enjoying it, if it's from a heart that still nonetheless fears God and trusts him, then it pleases him and glorifies him. Let's look at Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips, the lips that acknowledge his name. Sometimes praise feels like a sacrifice. Sometimes it feels like a sacrifice of your time or of your energy. But even if it does, as long as it's from a heart that still fears and trusts God, it's still pleasing to him. It still glorifies him. It's still objectively worth doing. So that's one reason why there's objective worth to our praise and worship, even if we don't feel God's presence or get enjoyment out of it. 
But the second reason I would say that it has objective worth is because proclaiming God's praises, proclaiming God's glory, makes a difference in the spiritual atmosphere and in spiritual warfare. Demonic forces get reminded of God's inevitable victory and their inevitable defeat. And that has an effect on the spiritual atmosphere. Demons don't want to be around an atmosphere of praise because it bothers them. They don't like to be reminded of their eminent doom. Having an atmosphere of praise changes a place. It makes a difference in spiritual warfare. So when you come to a worship meeting, have an attitude determined to praise God, knowing and believing that whether or not you feel God's presence or whether or not you get much enjoyment out of the worship meeting, your praises make a difference. And when, if you come with that attitude, with that determination, that determination makes a difference. That will affect your heart during worship. We need to come with determination to proclaim God's glory and believe that proclaiming God's glory has objective value in it of itself. So have the attitude, um, you know, that I'm going to praise and worship God whether or not I feel his presence. And I'm going to praise and worship God whether or not it makes me feel good. And I'm going to believe that it's worth doing. And that belief also tends to make it easier to enter God's presence and to enjoy worship. So tip number three, have an attitude of determination. Tip number four, engage your mind fully. So singing a song that you already know the lyrics to doesn't take up much attention. It doesn't take up a bunch of mental space. It probably takes 10 to 20% of your attention to sing a song that you already know the lyrics to. It's different if you don't know the lyrics. But if you already know the song, you can sing the whole thing without even thinking about it. I'm sure we've all done that before and then realized, oh no, I didn't pay any attention. Happens to everyone. So, singing a song that you already know the lyrics to takes like 10 to 20% of your attention. So, we, it's easy to let your mind drift elsewhere, but we shouldn't let our minds drift elsewhere. But I would like to take it further than that. What you do with the rest of your attention during worship matters a lot when it comes to how effective your worship is. So generally, when you're singing, you should think about the lyrics, but don't just think about them at face value. Think deeply about them. Think intentionally and intently about them, about what they really mean and how glorious various aspects of God's greatness really are. When you're singing about God's love, don't just think, yeah, God loves me, yeah, yeah, I heard it before. Think about how much he actually loves you. When you're singing about God's power, don't just think, yeah, God's powerful. Yep. Think about all that God's power can accomplish, how much it has accomplished, how it's infinite. Like, think deeply about the lyrics when you're singing them. 
But also there's musical interludes. And musical interludes are a good time to either pray or to think about God's glory in just whatever area um, you fear the Spirit leading you. So in general, wall singing, but especially in musical interludes, there are certain things we should think about that will help us engage more deeply in worship. I've made a list of things we can think about during worship, and especially during musical interludes. Number one, who God is, his nature, his character, his heart, his attributes. You know, we should think about who God is, because who God is is glorious. Uh, Another thing to think about, what God has done, what God has done in your life, the great things he's done to bless you and to redeem you, what God has done throughout the ages, what God has done in redemption through starting his church and for all the great things he's already done through his church, what God's done in answers to prayer, and lastly, think about what God is doing and will do his promises, and his future goodness. What God is doing through his kingdom is glorious. It's amazing. And it's worth thinking about in worship. You'll get more out of worship if you spend uh, your extra mental attention, uh, especially during musical interludes, thinking about God's glory. So don't just come passively. Engage your mind fully. It makes a big difference. The fifth tip I have for more powerful worship, pray for God's anointing. Pray for God's anointing during worship, that God would bless the worship. Let's look at uh, Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. You know, pray that the Holy Spirit would come and impact the worship. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's stated throughout the scriptures that God wants to answer our prayers time and time again. But it's specifically, explicitly stated that God wants to answer the prayer for more of the Holy Spirit. It's almost set aside in some sense in its own category. This prayer God wants to answer. Specifically, pray for this thing. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And we should pray especially for more of the Holy Spirit before and during worship. So pray before the worship meeting that God would anoint it. And pray in general, as a member of GCF, that we would have more powerful worship in general. Every day of our lives. We shouldn't ever enter a prayer meeting without having at least said a short prayer that God would anoint the prayer meeting. Or the worship meeting. So the sixth uh, tip I have for more powerful worship, uh, not just pray for God's anointing, but also pray in tongues. 
Praying in tongues before and during worship can help you connect deeper with God. It can help you connect deeper with God because it edifies your spirit. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. The one who speaks in a ton edifies himself or strengthens his spirit, as the New Living Translation says. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. And in our worship meetings, we should have gifts of prophecy, but we should take advantage of the power of praying in tons. Praying in tons is a tool that can help us out in worship, but we as a church pretty much rarely take advantage of it, myself included. I really don't take advantage of it like I should. And I'm pretty sure we as a church kind of have an almost general neglect of it in some sense when it comes to the power that it could lend to our worship meetings. So praying in tongues is uh, tip number six for having more powerful worship. I wanted to make this list of tips uh, concise in order to make it easier to remember and reply, apply. But if you would like more tips, you can check out a sermon on our website called Pursuing Deeper Worship, and it has some of these and even more. All right, the last part of our sermon. Let's have more worship. So... Um, I think we as a church need more worship, but I have um, just an idea about how to go about that practically. So I want to spend some time talking about small worship meetings, um, because I think they're a great way to have worship. Small, like casual worship meetings, like not necessarily formal official worship meetings, like meetings that people have in their houses, just small casual worship meetings. Um, I've got a few reasons why I think they're effective, and I think they're neglected. I think they're underestimated in their potential. I think small worship meetings are great. So, uh, number one, small worship meetings are practical and are powerful. I've got a few reasons why I think they're more practical than trying to set up a, a big, official, let's get the whole church to be there worship meeting. Because a lot of the time, that just kind of doesn't work out because of people's schedules. But that's not a reason to not have worship. We should just focus more of our efforts on having small, casual worship meetings, I think. But anyway, small worship meetings are more practical. First reason, you don't have to find a time where a bunch of people with different schedules can all manage to attend. If you have just small, casual worship meetings. Uh, you can also have them in someone's home, which is more convenient. At least for one or two people, they don't have to leave their home. Uh, it's kind of nice. <laughs> you don't even need someone who can play an instrument. You can use YouTube or Spotify or any place where you can find lyrics and music. And that can be really impactful. It doesn't even need to be recurring or planned in advance. So small... Worship meetings are a lot easier to set up than big, formal, official worship meetings. They're more practical. Number two, small worship meetings are also very powerful, I think. 
Some of the best worship meetings I've ever been to were at the Red House years ago when it was a single sister's household, and we didn't even have a planned worship meeting. It was just casual Friday nights that we would have, and, uh, and they would just invite people over for worship. And they didn't have anyone who played an instrument. We just had worship lyric videos on the TV. And those were some of the most powerful worship and prayer meetings that I've been to. And they weren't even planned ahead of time. It was just random Friday nights where somebody was like, you know what, let's have some worship. And then maybe afterwards play some games. But let's have worship and let's have prayer. We don't have to even get a lot of people to show up. Let's just invite whoever and whoever comes. Let's have worship. Honestly, probably the majority of the more powerful worship meetings I've been to have been small, casual meetings that were held at someone's house just using lyric videos. I do think it's important to understand this because I think if we get too caught up in trying to plan a big official uh, on-the-calendar worship meeting, it can just get in the way of actually having worship. And I think it tends to. But we don't need to let that happen. Anyone can plan a small worship meeting, but we'll get to that in a bit. Another thing I like about small, casual worship meetings is it can make it easier to pray for things that we might not otherwise pray for in a worship and prayer meeting. It's easier to be more transparent with a group of 5 to 10 people than it is with a group of 30 people. Most people don't want to pray about their personal problems in a group of 30 people, and I'm fine with that. But um, it can be good to have a place where you can pray about your more personal problems. It is good to have a place where you have the freedom to pray about your more personal problems. And that's much easier to achieve in small, casual worship meetings. Not only is it easier to pray for things we might not otherwise pray for, but it's easier for everyone to be more involved in prayer and to pray for more time in the meeting. In a meeting with 30 people, it's sometimes hard for everyone to get a chance to pray. But in a meeting of like 5 to 10, it's much easier for everyone to get a chance to pray. And it's also harder to just sit there and just let other people pray. There's more temptation to get involved in the prayer. More incentive. So the second thing I want to say about small worship meetings, or second category of things, anyone can arrange small worship meetings. Please don't get the idea that you should wait for leaders to arrange worship meetings. If we are just always a church that only waits for leaders to arrange worship, then are we even a worshiping church? If we don't worship on our own initiative, do we really care much about worshiping God? We should have the desire to worship, and we should just take the initiative to do it. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You don't need to wait for leaders to plan meetings. Just plan your own. 
small casual prayer meetings, worship meetings are really easy to plan and implement. Because you, uh, you don't need leaders, you don't need someone who knows how to play an instrument, you just need to decide to worship and pray and get a few other people to join you. But anyone can arrange small worship meetings. You don't even have to set it up on a schedule. They don't have to be recurring. You can just on a random Saturday say, I'm bored. My plans got canceled. Let's worship. Some of the best meetings I went to at the Red House years ago were, um, we all got snowed in and no one can leave. Let's worship. (laughs) The Red House girls didn't want to leave, so they invited people over. (laughs) But it was still powerful worship and prayer. So please think about how you can be more involved in worship. Think about how you can be involved in some sort of worship meeting other than the Sunday one, at least weekly. Whether you attend someone else's or organize it or some mix in between, please think about how you can be more involved in worship. So in conclusion... I just have one point I really care about for the conclusion. If we never get to the point where powerful worship is part of our life, at least weekly, and not just a part of a special season, we won't accomplish our vision as a church. We won't actually be charismatic in practice if we don't get past this. Please think about that either today or sometime this week. Think about the implications of that. Think about whether or not you think that's true. Consider it for yourself. But I think there's good reason to think that that is true. And again, please think about how you can be involved in some sort of worship meeting at least weekly, even if you have to be the one to organize it. Let's have our communion meditation. So um, I was thinking about what the communion meditation should be, and I decided to kind of call it entering God's presence by the blood of Jesus. But of course, it's going to have to do with worship. So in the old covenant, at the dedication of the temple, like we looked at, Israel powerfully experienced the presence of God in worship. And that was in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. How much more should we boldly expect to encounter God's presence in worship? How much more should we feel the freedom and confidence to seek it? Let's look at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace and help in time of need. Because of Jesus, because of his blood, because we can enter into God's presence and worship, in confidence knowing that we have justification by Jesus' blood and not by any deed or 
anything of our own, we can have great confidence to enter worship. We can have the confidence that we can regularly enter worship and regularly expect to have powerful encounters with God. Not only because we have the blood of Jesus, but because Jesus himself truly desires to show us his glory. The night that he was about to be crucified, he prayed this in John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the earth. This was one of the primary things Jesus was thinking about the night he was to be arrested and then crucified. Jesus desires to show us his glory. He desires to bless us with that. He loves us and wants to give us the highest of enjoyments, his glory in worship. So let's come with thankfulness to Jesus because he just so much desires to bless us through worship. Let's recognize that and praise him for his blood and for his grace.